chemistry is, well, technically, chemistry is the study of matter. But I prefer to see it as the study of change. Now, just, just think about this. Electrons, they change their energy levels. Molecules, molecules change their bonds. Elements, they combine and change into compounds. Well, that's, that's all of life, right? I mean, it's just, it's the constant, it's the cycle, it's solution, dissolution, just over and over and over. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. It is fascinating, really. Transformation absolutely is fascinating. And we're all fascinated with it because we want it. I don't know uh, about you, but uh, there are things in my life that I wish were changed. Uh, everybody has them. I, I do know about you. Uh, it might not be something other people see, but we've all got it. Something that we want fixed, mended, changed. What we're going to talk about for the next uh, few weeks is going to address that deepest need in our heart, the need for real life change. Uh, and we're going to talk about how God brings about life change in his people. Um, I, I told y'all uh, about my wife and my kids and, uh, uh, and my former church. One of the things that uh, I, I want to introduce to you today is my, my former church, they used to like to mess with me and they would get me funny gifts that they thought were funny and cute, and, and I appreciated those, and I'm a big UK fan. I, we're going to have a uh, kind of a support group later on in the <laughs> hallway. I was up there ready to storm the field last night, and we didn't, obviously, uh, but, uh, but anyhow, uh, some things never change, but uh, we are going to talk about change today, but they used to get me odd and in things, and for my birthday and stuff, and a lot of times it would center around UK. I got a Tubby Smith signed basketball. I have a knife that Adolf Rupp signed, uh, which is kind of neat. I have a, uh, uh, some little things. They would get me ball marks. I have a lot of ball marks. You know, what? A, if you don't play golf, you don't know what a ball mark is, but it's a little bitty round thing that would usually has a little magnet thing to it. You can clip it out and put it underneath your ball whenever you're on the putting green. And I, Several UK ball marks. A few people were wise guys and got me UL ball marks. But anyhow, I have several of those things. And, and every now and then they would get me some stuff around my hobbies. And course, golf was one of my hobbies, and, and I'm not an art person. I'm not artsy in the least. I'm very mathematical, very mechanical, very logical, bop, bop, bop. That's the way my mind works, you know, but uh, this caught my attention. I thought, well, that's not bad, you know, and so I got this kind of funny piece of art that I didn't think much about, and there's a picture so you can kind of see it, golfer swinging, you know, it's just kind of made of some, uh, some I don't know, some type of metal, but anyhow, uh, the next year, they got me another one, and the second one they got me was this guy, and I made them bookends on my uh, uh, bookshelf, and one day I was sitting there looking, and I noticed a theme. You know the theme. You are the golfer with the big heart. I thought, man, that's nice. They love me. I thought, how kind. The next year, they gave me another one of these things, and I put it in my office, and it was sitting there, and as I watched it, all of a sudden, I realized not only is he the golfer with the big heart, he's the golfer with no brain. <laughs> 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 
And I was just slightly offended, <laughs> but I guess it's better to have a big heart and no brain than to have no heart. And so uh, today we're going we're gonna to be talking about the life change that God wants in your heart. Several of you have asked me about my wife and kids. Guys, I am married. These pictures are not out of a magazine or something like that. Uh, I am going to bring my wife with me. It's probably going to be November. Here's the deal. My wife is a homebody. I could run 24-7, never take a day off, go, do, that's me. But my wife, she needs at least one day every week of Sabbath rest. She needs that. It is in her. And during volleyball season, we don't get that. And so we had like 13 straight Saturdays that were dominated with our time. And I said, honey, whenever we get a Saturday off, we'll take a day, down day and then you can come with me up to Burlington. She said, that's great. But uh, this is my wife, Kelly. You didn't know this probably, but since the last time that I left you, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. So yeah, praise the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, she is a faithful, loving, supportive um, independent and beautiful woman, and I just love her. I'm so grateful for her. Uh, this is uh, our first date together. It was to my senior prom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big hair, 80s thing going on, some hair, 80s thing going on. <laughs> you know, we, it, it was uh, a long time ago, and guys, when you look at pictures like this, do you ever wonder if your wife would have married you if she knew what you were going to turn out like? <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever, yeah, don't, uh, don't, don't think about that too long. <laughs> the other day we were at a volleyball game. It was actually, I guess, Thursday night or Tuesday night, one or the other. But we were at a volleyball game in Bardstown at a little small uh, uh, school there in Bardstown. Our teams were playing. And somebody walked in, and you should never compare yourself to other people. But I just leaned over to you, and I said, am I as big as that guy? Now, that's not healthy. <laughs> She said, well, you used to be. And I don't know exactly what she meant by that. <laughs> I don't know which way of that equation <laughs> she w was going. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I want my wife to have a good image of me. The truth is, uh, I, I just like everybody to have a good image of me. That can be dangerous at times, uh, but it is, it, it just is a part of me. I, I, I think most of us want to have a good image that we portray. A few years ago, there was a remake of Disney's old movie, Snow White, and it was called Mirror, Mirror. It had Julia Roberts in it. You might remember the movie. Uh, the tension in Disney's movie and in the Julia Roberts movie was that there's this queen who wanted to have the image of being beautiful, but then all of a sudden, her place at the top of the pedestal was being challenged by young Snow White, and that creates the tension uh, throughout the entire, entire movie. Uh, here's what I've noticed. We all have an image uh, that we want to portray, every one of us. We've got it. We, we either want to be physically fit, we want to be competent at work, we want to be seen as intelligent, we want to have the model family. You know, we, we, we want to be good-looking. We all have this image that, that we desire uh, deep down to, to portray. Uh, and we go to great lengths to make changes to make this happen and to accelerate this, this change in our life. I don't know if you realize this or not. Do you realize that God has an image that he 
has for an image of you that is ideal? Uh, the Bible teaches us that, that God wants all of us to become like Jesus. He wants every one of us to reflect him and, and, and to, to look like him. Now, here's what we're going to do this, today and, I don't know, probably four or five weeks. We're going to talk about how does God get us there? How, how does God move us in this direction? And, and what would it look like if you were to actually get there? Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8. Now, I know I spoil y'all. I put every scripture on the screen. But check me out. I could be lying to you. Believe it or not, there have been men who've stood in pulpits who lie. Yeah. Check me out. Check the Word of God. We have a constant. You know, so, so follow along. Just because it's up here doesn't mean I got it right. You know, make sure. Dig in for yourself. Study to show yourself approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed. So, we'll dig in here to Romans 8. In Romans 8, verse 28, we find the verse. So many people have heard this. You might not know this verse, but I almost guarantee you you've heard this verse because somebody's quoted it to you. you your job went south. Your relationship uh, went bad. Uh, you're, 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 you're feeling overwhelmed. A circumstance in life just was tough. And somebody said, hey, it's all right. We know that God works all things for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that. We believe that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But what happens is we know this verse so well that we never pay attention to the next verse, and these two are linked. You can't separate these and understand their meaning. The next verse in verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son. God desires all of us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now we all have a mental picture of what Jesus looks like. I don't know where you got your mental picture. I got mine. My dad had a paint by numbers, and I know that sounds like kid paint by numbers. There was like 170 colors in this paint by numbers. Really intricate, difficult picture of the Lord's Supper. Now you have to understand in my home being raised, we didn't have a Bible until I was like 10 in my home. Okay? We, we didn't go to church. We, did, we didn't talk about Jesus much, but my dad painted this, and he told me that's Jesus and his disciples. And so when I heard people talk about Jesus, my mind immediately went to this picture. I don't know what picture you go to. Maybe Jim Caviezel in The Passion of the Christ, and that's who you think about. Or, or maybe you go back to those Sunday school posters. You remember those? You know, those things that, you know, and, and you could see the, the fairest Lord Jesus there, or maybe it was flannel graph for some of you. I don't know where you go, but we have pictures in our mind of what Jesus looks like. Well, I want you to understand, in this series, I'm not talking about the physical image of Christ. Instead, I'm talking about those spiritual qualities that Jesus possesses how he spoke, how he treated people, um, like Jesus were to be humble. We are to forgive because he forgave. We're to love because he loved. We're to be sacrificial. We're to value relationships. We're to be holy. And this is what God wants us to be like. Again, in verse 29, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, I want to focus in on the word that I skipped that a lot of people immediately gravitate to, and that's that word predestined. 
Uh, before you were born, God predestined you to look like Jesus. God said, this is what I want you to look like. Now, the, the, the biblical word, the Greek word for predestined simply means to set boundaries. Think about it in this way. If you're a teacher of children, you'll go into a classroom with a photocopied sheet of something you want all the kids to color. And the boundaries are set. Now, the kids are going to color them in, and they're going to look probably nothing alike. But the boundary has been set, what they're supposed to look like. Well, this is what God has done. Before we were created, God set a boundary for our life, and it was that we are to look like Jesus. Now, I've been saying that he predestined us, but if you're reading your Bible, that's not what it says. Right? Let's look at it. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, I know when you put these two words together, foreknew and predestined, you open up Pandora's box. I mean, the church has been arguing for 1,500 years how you put these two things together. And it, and it can get really tricky. There's basically two meanings of foreknowledge, and I want to go over them real quickly with you today. The first meaning of foreknowledge is behind door one. God chose to have a relationship with a person at conception, meaning that God chose you. He picked you. If you're one of his children, he picked you before you were born. There are people who, who believe that, that this is what foreknowledge means. God foreknew you before you were born, before there was a you, and he chose you. He picked you, okay? Y'all understand that? Everybody with me so far? The second meaning of foreknowledge is that God knew the people who would choose him. God looked down through the portals of time. He knew decisions people would make, and he predestined them. He said, okay, those are the folks I want to look like Jesus. I'm going to tell you honestly, I have no earthly idea which one of these two it is. I don't know. And I worry about people who got it figured out. I mean, this is complex stuff. The church has been arguing for 1,500 years about this. We're talking about the mystery of God, and his ways are above our ways, and his thoughts are above our thoughts, and we can't keep completely comprehend him. I mean, I, I really worry about folks who say, it is this way, or folks who say, no, 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 it can never be that way. It's got to be this way. And I'm sitting here thinking, how arrogant you are to tell me how God works. I don't know completely whether God chose me before the foundation of the world, or I don't know completely if God let me choose him. Seems to be that if God made everything, he probably knew. Seems to me in my own life that I choose everything. I don't know how those two go together, but somehow they do. It is so arrogant and smug of people to say they know. We're talking about God, the mystery of God. And for those people to say that they've got this completely figured out, that's crazy. Nuts. I promise you. They're, they're not that smart. It's above our pay grade, right? <laughs> I mean, for, for people to say, say they've got this completely figured out, it's like saying that a, 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 a stock boy at Kroger can completely figure out the balance sheet of the entire corporation. And really, that's a bad illustration. It's better like seeing a can of peas on the shelf that the stock boy put up there is figuring out the balance sheet. We can't get this stuff. Now, here's where I would like for you to be people of real grace. There are people 
over here on the 10-yard line who says, choice, choice, choice. God doesn't know. He's just figuring it out. Extend some grace, okay? And then there's some people over here who say, it's God, God, God. You know, we don't have anything to do with it. We're just robots. Here's what I tell you. Extend some grace. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Because this verse is not really talking about how God works in the mystery. This verse is talking about what he wants us to become in the present. So either way, the word foreknowledge signifies those who are saved. Right? Yeah, I mean, hey, let's just look at this verse and say we're, we're saved. How God did it? I don't know. Praise him. He let me pick him. Praise the Lord. He picked me. Praise the Lord. It's all good. But don't miss why he saved you. He saved you. The verse tells us. Oh, by the way, the Bible's pretty cool. It tells you what it wants you to know. He saved you to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the why. We get caught up in the part we don't completely understand, and we miss the part that's easy. He saved you so you'd look like Jesus. He saved you so that you would become like him. That, that word conform there is two Greek words kind of meshed together, a compound word. It, it's the word symorphous in Greek. One word is where we get the word symmetry from, to be similar, to become like. The other, morph, is where we get the word morphing, to change. So if you put that together, he wants you to change to become similar to Jesus. So that's the message. And so here's the question. Are you becoming? Are you becoming similar to Christ? Are you changing? Now some of you get frustrated because you think, man, I, I've been baptized and you know, I'm... I still struggle with this temptation, or I st I've given in to this temptation, or I still have these thoughts and they just dominate me, or I still. And, and you get frustrated because you're like, do I need to get rebaptized? I had a 42 year old guy at Edgewood who came up to me when I first introduced this comment about uh, concept about three years ago to the congregation because sometime in Baptist life we give the impression, come to Jesus and boop, better. And he said, you know, I've been baptized three years. And it had, uh, three years three times and it hadn't stuck well, I think he m misunderstood baptism is not the end of the line of the change it's the starting blocks for the change it's where you begin your new life we know where the end is it's when the Lord either returns or we die and that is the end of the cha changing process in fact the Bible says something like this start putting these things together in the twinkling of an eye we shall all be changed changed to what well i already know we've been predestined to the what changed to become like him that that's that's why he created us and here's the good news today if you're not there yet god's still working on you he is moving you in the direction of his son i love uh second uh Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, And we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. Let me ask you a question. When you read the phrase, are being transformed, what's that mean? What's it mean? It's a work in progress. We're not there yet. 
And he didn't say some of us are not there yet. All of us are not there yet. And we all are being transformed. So it, it is a process. And God uses the events of your life to change you. He'll bring friends into your life to challenge you. You ever been there? You were just kind of stuck, and all of a sudden you met somebody who was farther along in the change process than you, and all of a sudden they started rubbing off on you, and you started saying, man, I'm nowhere near what, what they're like in Christ, or you moved to a new city. Maybe your job got relocated, and you ended up in a church, and they started talking about like living your faith, not just leaving your dollars. And, and they started talking about loving Jesus with all your heart, and all of a sudden you started being drawn to this, and, and God started changing you. Oh, it, it, he just did these things to help you become. If you're not there yet, here's the second question. The first one is, do you look like Jesus? The second one is, are you becoming? Or are you exactly at the same place you were the day you got wet? Are you becoming like Jesus? God is not satisfied with you simply being on heaven's rolls. He did not predestine you to heaven. He predestined... By the way, that's what this verse doesn't say. He predestined you to He predestined you to look like Jesus. That's what he predestined you to. And here's the rub. God will use whatever it takes to help you get there. And he'll even allow hard stuff to come into your life, if necessary, to help move you along. That's where verse 28 comes in. We link these two things together. And we know that all in all things, not all things, we know all things are not good. You hit your hand with a hammer, you know pretty quickly that's not good. You know? But we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Here's my question. What's the good? You know, everybody quotes this, and maybe it's one of the most misunderstood verses in all the New Testament. Oh, the good is, like God's a genie in the bottle, as in, you know, it all worked out the way I want. I lost my job, I'm going to get a better job. I lost my husband, I'm going to get a better husband. You know, I, I, that's the way it's being translated into our world, but does it always work out that way, that you get your pipe dream somewhere because God owes you something? Of course it doesn't work out that way. No, it doesn't. He works all things out for your good in that he helps you become what you were created to be. And what, what were the boundaries of your life to become like Jesus? And so when he's working all things for good, he, in all things that happen to you, he's working to help you become like Jesus. Now, I'm going to get really tough with you right now, okay? So, for you to learn to forgive, how do you learn to forgive? Somebody has to wrong you. It's tricky, isn't it? Because you're, you're becoming like Jesus, and some of y'all, I don't know if you got it or not, so the only way they're going to get it is if we can tell if that forgiveness stuff can get squeezed out of them. So let's... And to learn to trust God instead of a person, somebody might disappoint you. You see, unfortunately, a lot of times it's so much easier for us to trust in, the, in man instead of God. So sometimes for God to grow his people, 
He has to help those people see you can't put your trust in man. They will all fail you, every last one of them. Sometimes, for you to trust that treasure in heaven is better than treasure on earth, God has to ring your 401k a little bit to get you to the place where you can see, am I really content with Jesus if I don't have stuff? Guys, God works in all things to get you to the good, to help you to become like Christ. Now, sometimes when God does something good, He doesn't tell us why. Sometimes when God does something, period, He doesn't tell us why. Like, why do He make mosquitoes? You know, I mean, I, I, there's no answer for that. <laughs> You know, what good? You know, are, are, why all the planets and solar systems and cabillions and whatever? Why? I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, why do people root for Louisville? I mean, some things are in the mystery. You will never figure these things out, you know? I mean, I don't. And then there's hard things, truthfully. Why do babies die? I, I, I don't know. I, I Last Saturday, I don't know if y'all knew this or not, I had to go do a funeral of a 12-year-old at Edgewood died of brain cancer. And I stood before the congregation and said, I do not know why this happened. I don't. I, I, I don't. And you, you don't either, if you're honest. We can speculate and postulate and whatever, but you, you don't know. I don't know why people in Africa who love Jesus more than I do and look more like Jesus than I do, are as poor as they are when I have so much left over. I don't know. I don't understand all suffering in the world. I, I don't get it all. I, I don't understand. But when it comes to why God is choosing to make me like Jesus, I do know why. You know why? I read the Bible. It's amazing. How smarter you'll get if you spend some time in the Word. Listen to what this verse says. We know He works good. For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And by the way, if you should have been checking me out, you should have said, hey, wait a minute, He's not reading all that verse. So that, your Bible probably says so that, it's henna in Greek, which means here's the reason I just told you everything I told you. God's predestining it predestining us to be conformed to the image of his son so that that he might be the firstborn who's the he being the firstborn there anybody know jesus he's conforming us to the son so that he would be the firstborn now wait a minute jesus being born well yeah it's called bethlehem y'all have heard of that right he was the firstborn and he predestined us to be conformed to his image so that Jesus would just be the firstborn among many. Why did God predestine us? Because up in heaven, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit existed before all time. They loved one another. One God, three distinct personalities, loved one another, and God said, you know what, i got a plan. I want to create this special being that I'm going to love like nothing else. They're... They're, they're, they're bigger than anything else that I'll create anywhere. And I'm creating them so that I can have a relationship with them like I have a relationship with you. That's what I want. 
So, so, so he, he created them that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. How many of y'all ha- have children? Raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. How many of you had your first child that was colicky or coughed and stayed up all night? All right, all right, yeah, mine slept about seven. You know, my first one. <laughs> How many of you only had one kid because of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, an honest person right there. We had two, the first and surprise. <laughs> then when you had teenagers, how many of you ever thought, why did I do this? <laughs> oh, your kids are in here. You can't do that. No, you can only think it. <laughs> no. The father's different. The son was so perfect in every way, and the firstborn son was so perfect in every way that he said, man, I want a lot of people who look like him. That's the deal. So the reason God created you, if you want to know, is God wants you to look like Jesus so that he can have that type of relationship. The father loves Jesus, and he desires to have many people conforming to his image. I I think I've told you all about my dad, but I love my dad. He is like the eternal optimist my mom is is she is skeptical i'm cynical so that makes me skinical i guess i don't know but my dad is like the eternal optimist he is i mean we'll go out on a friday night to eat steak and he'll say man that's the best steak i ever had you know next friday night we'll go out and eat steak that's the best steak i've ever had and that's been like an ongoing cycle my entire life he's got a jeep on blocks out behind his house that's the best jeep i ever had Dad, it's a year old and it's on blocks. <laughs> it gets three miles to the gallon. <laughs> the rain comes through the roof. It's, <laughs> it's the best Jeep I ever had. That's my dad. We're going to put on his tombstone. It's the best tombstone I ever had. <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's like the eternal optimist. But I told you, my parents weren't saved when I got saved. And they weren't saved, had a relationship with Jesus, when I was called to preach. And so my dad, who was always optimistic, kind of looked, different like i don't know if i want you to do this i don't know if i want you to be poor all your life you know type of deal and that was kind of where he was he was at it's like i don't know but then he got saved when i was 18 years old and god came into his life and all of a sudden that glowing optimism about his son returned and everywhere we would go he would want to introduce me to people I worked with this guy 22 years ago at Whirlpool, Nick. He wants to meet you. And I'm like, Dad, he don't care who I am. <laughs> he doesn't care. Please don't, Dad. You know, and he would do this everywhere. We'd be in the middle of Walmart. My dad, hey, hey, your grandson played ball with him. That's my son. He's going to be a preacher. That embarrassed me to death. And truthfully, even now it still kind of embarrasses me because I know they don't care who I am. But... It doesn't embarrass me anymore because my dad's doing it because you know why he does it? He's proud of me. Yeah, he's proud of me. And uh, so it's all right. I guess the question would be here. Would Jesus or would God, the Father, hold you up and say, man, look at them. 
They look like Jesus. That's why I made them, see? All right, let's start bringing this into our world. Um, Can you imagine the impact of this church if the people in the three services we're going to have today were becoming like Jesus? I mean, mean, can you imagine? What if they saw humility in, in churches instead of competition? And what if they saw forgiveness instead of gossip? And what if they saw leaders who just loved them and wasn't looking for what they could get out of them? What if they saw that people cared about their well-being and not just their Washingtons or Benjamins? I believe many people judge the church before they ever meet Jesus. Every time they come to church, they ought to meet Jesus. Because they ought to look at you and see him. Number two, can you imagine how different your world would be? Your world, your life, your home, your work, your everyday Can you imagine how different it would be if you were becoming like him? When hardships come, instead of melting, you were filled with strength. And on those days that you have 16 things to do and you don't have the time to get it to done, can you imagine if you had patience instead of snapping and regretting? Can you imagine the the person who annoys you at work and you just say great on your brain like a cheese grater can you imagine that person at work if you were becoming more like Jesus you started thinking man Jesus died for them just like he did for me can you imagine how different your life would be in your marriage if you started being sacrificial instead of keeping score can you imagine how different your friendships would be I hope you can see how much of a blessing it would be to become like Jesus. If you're not sure, ask a 40-year-old if he wished he had lived like Jesus when he was 18 to 22. Ask a 60-year-old if they wished they had raised their kids the way Jesus would have wanted them to. Ask an 80-year-old if they wish they'd have spent their vacation time on other people instead of just on themselves. Life just goes better when we follow Jesus. It just does. Because that's what we were made for. So do you look like Jesus? Now, back to Snow White. Mirror, mirror on the wall. The queen stands in front of the mirror, and she asks the question, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest, greatest of them all? Who's the fairest of them all? And we all look at that and say, what an awful question. I'm not sure it was an awful question. Okay, you shouldn't compare yourself to others. I get that. The problem in the movie is not it's a bad question. The hero of the movie gives the right answer to that. The problem in the movie is that she doesn't want an answer. Right? She doesn't want the truth. And that's the problem with a lot of us. When you're confronted with a question, do you look like Jesus? A lot of us want to leave here and we want to feel grace, 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 and we don't want to see truth, 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 truth. 
The truth is, probably most of us here aren't as far along in the process as we should be. Now, I'm a grace guy. But you know what Jesus was? The perfect embodiment of grace and truth. Don't use the grace of God to excuse your lack of progress. You were predestined to look like Jesus. That's why God saved you in the first place. I pray you get there. Next takeaway. What would need to happen in order for you to become more like Jesus? A habit that maybe needs to change? A substance needs to be left alone? Maybe you have a grudge. And you just can't let it go. Maybe your schedule's so busy you can't love people. Yeah. Have you, here's, a, here's a statement for you. You can't love real well if you're too busy. Be careful because you're not going to be judged on how much you get done while you were living. You only live once. Live like you're dying. Well, does that really mean that you, you know, play bucket list? Or does that mean that you pour into somebody and love them? You can't love when you're just too busy. You know, that's kind of got to, whoo, talking about a guy who hadn't had a day off in like months. And then I start wondering, Lord, I'm working for you. And the Lord's saying, what work? Loving people? Last I checked, that's what I said you're supposed to do. You're just busy doing your thing. Don't get too busy. And then finally, I'd say this. You can't change to become like Jesus until you come to him. There's a starting point in everybody's life. There has to be a starting point where you give your heart and your life to Jesus. If you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, the process needs to begin today. Here's what I'd ask you to do. If you don't know if you started becoming like Jesus, I'm going to ask you today to do the weirdest thing you've probably ever done in your life. I'm going to ask you to come out of your seat in just a second when we're standing together and singing. And I want you to come to me, not because I'm the one who has all the answers, but I just want to tell you how I gave my heart and life to Christ and how you can too. Maybe you're here and you've never been baptized. Did you know that that is kind of like step two in the process? Jesus said it, not me. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about religious ritual. He just said when you're a believer, he told us who are believers, you go into the world and make disciples, baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you're on the path, step two is to get baptized. If you've never been baptized, here's what I'd like for you to do today. I'd like for you to come forward, and I'd like you to say, Preacher, whatever your name is. I've never followed the Lord in baptism, and I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Here's what will happen. We'll talk to you, and somebody will call you this week, and we'll, we'll sit down and talk to you about what baptism's like. And then, if you believe this is what the Lord wants you to do, we'll fill the tub up, and we'll get wet. But we're not just getting wet to get wet. We're getting wet because Jesus said, show the world that I wash sins away and I'm making you into a new person that looks like me. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to be a part of this church. 
you know, I'm, I've been here now five weeks, and I'm still not sure what that process is exactly. I'm going to find that out tomorrow morning. But if you'll come forward, I'm going to hand you to somebody who knows that process, and they'll tell you, and they'll even give you the opportunity to say, no, I don't want to do that. But if you want to be a part of this church, I think the first step in the process would be today to come forward and say, I'd like to be a part of this church. And then for everybody else. Something needs to change, you can come to the altar. We had a couple people come to the altar earlier today just to signify, God, I want some change in my life. Maybe, maybe today you want somebody to pray with you. You know, you, you can come to me, and, or if you know somebody who's a little farther along in the journey than you are, just say, would you pray for me? I, I don't want to be on the starting blocks on the day I die. Maybe you want to come take communion. I'm going to pray as soon as I finish praying. We're going to start to sing. If God speaks to you, you can come. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to share today. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak in this time. Lord God, I thank you for your mercy and grace that's been extended to me. I thank you, Lord, that even though I've taken three steps forward, two steps back many times in my life, God, I thank you, Lord, that you are working on me and that you have worked in my life and Lord I trust that you still will God I pray for this people here help this congregation to become more like you Lord if there's somebody here today that needs to start the journey Lord I pray they would or, or maybe take that second step in the journey of getting baptized God I pray that you would speak to their heart and do that thing that only you can do of convict of truth uh, and Lord, for the person who feels trapped in their spin cycle of promising and failing, God, I pray that you would speak hope into their life. You created them to help them to become. And just because they're not there doesn't mean you're done with them, Lord. God, I ask you to bless this time of, of commitment and decision. In Jesus' name, amen.